Welcome to today's podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with John Ryan, the CEO of ORM Technologies. Mr. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sean. Great to be here. I am really excited to get to talk to you today. Before I let you tell me a little bit about your journey, let me just brag on you for a moment because I have a question that will come out of all of these data points. So you have a bachelor's in mathematics, a master's of science in engineering management. You're also a chartered accountant and you've almost completed your PhD in applied science. When do you sleep, man? <laughs> I just have a lot more years than you do, Sean. So I had a little more time to get to it. Oh, I don't know about that. I bet we're pretty, I bet we're pretty close, but I will say pony up. That's right. Southern Methodist University. That's true. So let's, let's, I'm really interested in that mix of, of study that you have put together. If you would be kind enough, can you explain to me kind of your journey through those incredibly dense educational topics and that course that brought you to ORM Technologies? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. So I'm actually originally from Toronto, Canada, and uh, the University of Waterloo is where my undergraduate was from, and they had a unique program that married mathematics and uh, either chartered accountancy or actuarial science together. So I chose to marry uh, the chartered accountant program, which would be the equivalent of a CPA in the U.S., and uh, the mathematics. And I found my first love math uh, was really focused on optimization and combinatorics. And, and then I did the business side with my CA. And that kind of set a foundation for me. I joined a technology company, Nortel, and ended up moving all around the U.S. after I transferred from uh, Toronto, Canada, and inevitably spun a company out, which was in Internet security out of Nortel, which I took public in the late 90s. And that was a great ride. It was uh, centered around encryption technology, which, of course, nicely aligned with my math background. And we uh, grew that company from a couple million to 150 million over five years. Uh, I left them and then joined another security company and ran that for five years and then took a break and realized that I might want to teach. So I went back and pursued my Ph.D. in applied science, focusing on optimization and statistics. And as I was finishing the program, uh, except for my dissertation, I started ORM because uh, one of the projects I did was really focused at how to apply this technology to medium-sized companies uh, and have them get the benefit of this advanced technology to help optimize the way they ran their businesses. And that was the original concept. I did a project around the sales side and really used that as a platform to create the company and then start selling uh, predictive analytics and optimization software to medium-sized companies in the United States. You know, you mentioned you mentioned medium-sized businesses, and I find that fascinating because it does seem like the majority of the focus in the competitive landscape either focuses on small businesses and how to help them succeed, which is a is a worthy is a worthy goal, or how to improve large businesses. And it seems like medium-sized businesses just sort of they're invisible. I would agree. And certainly, you know, you, you see about the prowess of Google and their analytics and uh, Amazon and other companies like them. And they have deep, large staffs of PhDs 
who help design and, and create systems for them to take advantage of data. And, and I really view the competitive landscape of the 21st century is going to be around those who leverage data the best. And you either are one of the best in leverage data or you'll be left at the bus stop. And uh, several studies by Gartner and Forrester and Aberdeen have also looked at if you're in the top 20% of using your data analytics, you out-earn your competition by 7 to 8% on earnings, and you outgrow your competition by at least 13 percentage points. So the people who master this information will have a competitive advantage. Now, in the big companies, they work with large vendors like IBM, and they bring Watson to bear. And our company really is sitting there saying, the companies that have 100 to 1,000 employees, we're here to be your outsourced analytics team, and we're going to give you as good or better stuff than the big guys have because we don't have the incremental complexity of their infrastructure and politics. So our goal is to deliver as good or better analytics and optimization capabilities to companies in that size range so that they can actually be part of that top 20% and enjoy the superior returns. Now, a funny thing about this is if you look at the Fortune 1000 and aggregate all their revenue and, and their expenses, it might sum about $15 trillion in annual revenue. If I look at the companies in 100 employee to 1,000 employee size, they actually sum up to about $11 trillion, which is around 75% of the size of the top 1,000. But there's 105,000 companies in that range. So this is an immense opportunity for us to help those people take advantage of advanced technology and get all the benefits of optimization and predictive analytics. And if they use it properly and efficiently, they will probably cease to be medium-sized businesses and the best of them will evolve into larger businesses. That would just be the nature of the beast, wouldn't it? It would. And certainly the customers we've worked with and the studies we've done show in the sales side that you can either save or increase your throughput or, or volume in the vicinity of 5 to 15% when you leverage our technology. It's a similar amount on the marketing side where you could get 15% or more uh, output for the same amount of dollars spent. Again, I look at that 105,000 companies. If they just achieve 5% savings, this could sum to around across the United States at 105,000 companies, it would be approximately 49 billion in savings or incremental value. And that's just for the sales side. And then the marketing side expenses about half that amount. So it would be close to uh, 70 million or so for savings between the two. And then if you go to 15% savings, we're talking in the vicinity of 150 billion of opportunity there. So admittedly, all these guys aren't going to run out and adopt this technology tomorrow, but that is still a huge addressable market for companies like ours uh, to help them really be leaders in data analytics. So with your focus on mathematics, and, and I've always been a believer that mathematics is the universal language. I've always believed that. And as you speak about that's just that's just a language you speak. You just speak mathematics every day, all day. And as you apply that sort of understanding to a set of data and statistics from let's talk just briefly from the consumer side. 
I, at this point, after hearing all of the horror stories about security and data is a very scary four-letter word to a lot of people, I would be more likely to hand someone a $100 bill than I would to give them my phone number. Is that normal? Um, you know, I would say that it depends a little bit of which generation you're from, um, where it becomes people who have really had no expectations of confidentiality their entire life as they've interacted with the internet might look at it as, hey, it's all open anyways, so what's the harm of giving it away? Uh, that's one group, and, and you may find the people who are in the younger generation who really are just been raised with smartphones find that to be probably how they feel. I think partially because they haven't experienced the downside of of the you know the confidentiality issue. And as a person like me, I would be I'm hesitant, uh, partially because I was in internet security for so many years, and you know there's no doubt that you know it's nice to have an application like. Google creates that knows that I'm driving to work and tells me in advance of me asking it where accidents are. That's pretty awesome because it tracks my behavior every day and knows that I drive to work on Monday through Friday. However, at the same time, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, scariness in that because that means Google knows my behaviors and patterns. And I don't know if that's all that great that you know, I have a third party who's that intimate with me. So it's it depends where you are on that that uh, that situation. And, you know, it does give access of information to people that they should be a little bit cautious of. And and then they should hold big companies accountable when they do things that seemingly does not protect the, the, the what they're intending to do with the app to benefit you versus what they're doing with your information to benefit themselves. You mentioned the competitive landscape of the 21st century moving forward, and I think any focus on the future has to include this current smartphone generation that you just mentioned. Not only are they growing up in a in a world of touchscreens and in a world of it's already out there as far as data, but they're also growing up in an age of automation. How... How would you say that sales and marketing really, how are those going to apply to this sort of frontier moving forward of automation? So we, we focus predominantly on business to business. So we give them tools to measure how effectively they do the type of automation you're describing. So what happens is customers will buy platforms that automate the communication flow to their prospective buyers, and many times that's either consumers or it might be other businesses, and they design marketing programs, let's say, that use an integrated multi-touch method to try and reach you. Um, and that usually consists of things like a screen pop-ups, pop-up ads at the appropriate time when you're in a certain page, it includes on your mobile devices a similar type capability, or it might include something that might be helpful to you, or it could include the ability for them to send you an email with an offer and you click a link. And all of these activities are integrated into a marketing platform where they can track them all and then use that as a methodology to understand who would be better candidates 
for them to try and pursue as customers and for the lowest cost. So these systems all exist. Every click, every interaction, everything you touch on your screen is credited back to you in some type of marketing system. And from there, we can score your behavior. And with that behavioral score, we can determine who may or may not be a better candidate to be sold our services. So this, this technology is all, it exists, it's being deployed in wide scale ways across all companies in the United States. And consumers may or may not be aware of that, but that is how companies now are looking to try and understand the buyer's journey and then pro try and provide that buyer an easy way to get products that are beneficial to them. So in theory, this is all good. Um, and we help then the customer know which of these programs are most effective and which ones have the highest return on investment so they can do more of the things that work well. So this data that is constantly being aggregated is used primarily to create a predictive behavioral analysis. I would Correct. think that the, the major challenge in that approach would be to not to personalize it specific to the, the consumer, but to make it feel more organic, to make it feel less clinical or antiseptic. I would imagine that has to be a huge challenge for a marketing department. It is, and certainly personalization, the, the, the entire trend, of course, uh, at one time in you know the 80s, we used to direct mail you, and we had a profile for you, and we tried to individualize it. And then we went into more or less digital approaches, and they were more massive. We could now reach hundreds of thousands or millions of people very cost-effectively through the marketing systems that exist in companies today because your email addresses and there's no cost to, to, to besides the system to mailing out the emails. Now you'll see a huge trend towards trying to personalize those messages so you resonate with them in a better way. The way you personalize is obviously by tracking all the interactions and seeing the things that appear to be important to that individual and also collecting data from other sources that they can then cross collaborate with that may help me draw in a lot, you know, a picture of, of your kind of interests and things that would be beneficial to you. And the more data we have, the better kind of picture we draw. And then what happens is we deliver you more customized and personalized messages. And that's, you'll see tremendous evolution on that in the next five years. And you know where you'll get, you'll be sitting there wondering, how did they know my shoes were worn out and I needed a new pair? of running shoes, but somehow because you had a, an eye watch and we, we track your miles, we know you hit 300 miles on your latest pair of ASICs and we tell you that uh, Adidas has a sale. And uh, But there's no doubt that type of capability exists today and it will slowly but surely get rolled out as uh, people work on it. Which moves seamlessly into my last question and that is the future. Now, being a man who is is well equipped with the language of mathematics and applied science. And I would imagine you possess quite the critical and logical eye. Is there a technology or a, an upcoming development that you feel is really going to be 
something that is incredibly critically important moving forward, say in the next two to five years? You know, it's a, an interesting question in that if you read, let's say, popular literature today in, in this kind of area, there's a huge amount of uh, literature that has been covered around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how when they're taken to, you know, the, the complete depths that it can go, that they could have, you know, significant impact on the how, how we live our lives because machines could then move to a whole new level of uh, understanding on how to deliver things to us. And I get, you know, and especially at a start of a year like this year, 2018, there's a huge amount of that written. It's going to be one of the most significant contributors to the change in sales and marketing this year and around this type of machine learning and artificial intelligence. And truthfully, I kind of, I read all these predictions and I had a friend once tell me that we overstate the impact of technology in the short term and tend to understate it in the long term. And, and I kind of fall in that category. So I become very pragmatic and I look for things that will connect two things together that will have a 5% impact or some other significant impact without having to go through the complex brain surgery or really very hard work it requires to move to these very advanced technologies. So I get more pragmatic and say, man, if we can combine these, the simple thing that just it blows my mind that most companies don't do. We have automated the ability to connect the lead in a marketing system to what goes on a sales system to see if this lead and the sales opportunity are connected. And if they are, we connect them. And then we, we estimate the life cycle of the lead all the way through marketing into sales. And then whether they eventually win it or lose it, measure the time, size of the deal, things like that. And from that, we're able to then give you a complete life cycle view across all your systems on how your customers transition. Almost nobody does that in the industry today. And that just shocks me because it's simple, at least simple in concept. And I think people tend to look for the next big thing when a lot of really good things that will make big impacts are kind of ignored. And our job, from my perspective, is trying to bring people some really great basics that give them the foundation that then will allow them to take advantage of these next great things as they get the, the base and the foundation laid properly. Would it be safe for me to say that your mission is to remind people that you can't build a jigsaw puzzle all at once? You have to do it one piece at a time. It certainly helps to have the box cover, too, um, to see the direction. Uh, but, uh, hey, you need to do both. And But if you're, if you're constantly going for the next cool widget and you never implemented your existing widgets well, um, you'll never get the benefit of them. And so our goal is to help them realize the benefit of the investments they made and then deliver to them the incremental benefits that they can get that are easy to get, give them five to 15% improved efficiency and allow them then to set the foundation to move on to the next level of sophistication so they maintain their competitive advantage. I don't think there is a way to have said that more eloquently than you just did. Today, I've been speaking with 
John Ryan, the CEO of ORM Technologies. John, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Hope you have a great day, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Hey, you're most kind. Thanks for the great opportunity. Thanks, John. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.